Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. All right. Turn to your neighbor and say, congratulations. Now turn to the other neighbor and say, you too. Today we're beginning a brand new series, and um, it's always nice to get in on the front end of a series. You know, if it was your first time like three weeks from now, you'd be coming in the middle of a series, and you're like, what's this all about? But you are here on day one. We're starting a new series in in the form of a question, are you made for greatness? Are you made for greatness? Am I made for greatness? Let's go ahead and dive into the word. Matthew chapter 20, starting with verse 20 through 28, it says this, Then the mother of the Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down and asking something of Jesus. She said, or Jesus responded, What do you want? What do you wish? She said, Grant that these two sons of mine sit, one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink from the cup, talking about the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink from and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said to him, we are able So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom is prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercised authority over them. Verse 26, yet it shall not be, somebody say it shall not be, it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you, let him be a servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, for your presence, God, that is in this place. I thank you, Lord, that that your peace is tangible. And I thank you, Lord, that your word, when it always is spoken, when it is delivered, it always hits the mark. And so, God, I'm just asking that you would continue to do what you've always done, and you will be faithful to the promises, God, that you've given, and let this word today change our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. So check this out. Before I go any further into this message... I want you to, everybody put your eyeballs up here just real quick. Um, I want you to know that this is not a prosperity message. If you don't pay attention to what I've just told you throughout the message, there's going to be a slight possibility that you're going to think that what I'm telling you is that God wants every single person to have a million dollars in their pocket and not have any issues and not have any worries. And I'm just telling you that that is not this. And so for those of you that have gone to church here for a long period of time, you know my heart. And if you start questioning, if if I'm talking about a name it and claim it gospel, go back to point number one that I just gave you that this is not that. Amen? Are you guys with me today? Uh, we feel like it looks like we're in shock just a little bit. I don't know what's going on. It just seems a little bit, little bit dead. Put a smile on your face and act like you're happy to be here or something. All right. Okay. Okay. Good, good, good. Thank you. 
Maybe that's what it was. It's just too quiet. I don't like quiet. Somebody just talk every now and then. You know what I'm saying? Let me know that you're, that you're here. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and go forward. How many of you know that the Bible itself can be a little bit funny? Like, like, like it can be funny. Um, uh, it, there, there can be some tension. At times, the Bible can be awkward. But, uh, but I think that there's some hilarious moments in the Bible. I mean, I mean, imagine like you're walking with Jesus and, and, and he tells you about, you know, that, that he's come to die. And then all of the sudden, like you're Peter and you're correcting him and saying, no, you're not going to, you know, this isn't going to happen to you. And Jesus turns right around and looks Peter right in his eyeballs and he calls him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. Like, I don't know if you find the humor in that, but Jesus will absolutely call you out on your nonsense. And he'll do so in a way that will get your attention. And he'll do so in a way that will cause you not to make that mistake again. And I don't know, maybe it's just funny to me because God is, he's really checked me on some of my, my crazy thoughts. And, and, and he's really called me out on some things where I've missed it and where I've gotten it wrong. And how many of you know that that's a good thing because he chastens, he corrects the people that he loves? Amen. And then all of a sudden you're, you're reading the Bible and then all of a sudden out of, out of nowhere, Jesus is braiding a whip and he literally is giving a bunch of people spankings in the house of the Lord because they, because they, they were buying and selling in the house of God. And, and he's saying, listen, you know what I'm saying? My father's house is called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And so literally like Jesus is throwing tables over and there's chairs you know, being scattered and he's taking this braided whip and he's literally running these people, these people out of the house of the Lord. I find that humorous. I think that is so funny. Now I've never been in one of these situations, but I've seen them on TV. It's almost like a bar fight breaks out and chairs are flying every single, every single place. You've seen them on TV too. I can tell. And, um, and, and, and that's just weird. And then all of the sudden, you know what I mean? There's this woman that's coming to Jesus and saying, hey, listen, my daughter is sick and, and she needs healing and she's a Gentile and Jesus ultimately calls her a dog and, um, and, 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 and she you know, has the discourse of, of even the dog gets the crumbs that fall from the, you know what I'm saying? Like if you didn't realize the difference between Jews and Gentiles in this, in this day and this time, you would read this and you're thinking, man, that's crazy. He flat called her a dog. And I think that's funny. There's weird things in God's word all throughout God's word. And these stories, some of them that I've just shared with you are not the stories that you were introduced to with the old flannel graph, the flannel board. You know what I'm saying? These were not the stories that your Sunday school when you were just a kid were teaching you about. But I'm telling you, the Bible is filled with drama. And you don't have to get into the latest Netflix series to find a bunch of drama and to find a bunch of crazy things. All you have to do is spend a little bit of time in the Word of God. And so this passage that I've just shared with you is a little weird within itself. Let me set it up just for you. Jesus has gathered his disciples around him, 12 of them, and because of who was there, you can also tell that it wasn't just the 12 disciples, but maybe their families were present as well, most likely their families. And so it's a small group, but it's larger than 12 because the disciples have family that are there. And, and Jesus is giving his own eulogy. Jesus is talking about this is the moment for which I was born. I was born to die. And, and this is that time. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to be taken and I'm going to be stripped of my clothes. And I am literally going to be beaten and ridiculed and I'm going to be exposed. I'll be laid in front of the public, absolutely naked. I'll be exposed and I will be hung upon a cross and that cross is going to be where I breathe my last breath as we, as we know it. And I'm going to die on that cross. And, and then they're going to take me off of that cross and they're going to bury me into 
the earth. I'm going to be placed in a tomb. But he doesn't stop there. He says, on the third day, I'm going to raise again to newness of life. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. And I'm going to have something in my possession that I don't have in my possession right now, and that is your salvation. He said, I'm going to raise again, and I'm going to have forgiveness of sins available to you. I'm going to have eternal life available, you know what I mean, to you. Up until this point, they had to make sacrifices every year, not to remove their sins, but just to push their sins back. And this is what is promised and available to every single one of us today. Your sins, past, somebody say past, present, which means the sins today, and future sins come on, are forgiven, never to be brought up against you again. Amen? I don't know, but that's why the Bible calls it good news. Good news. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to pay for your sins. He paid for them. All you have to receive is the gift of salvation. And so this is the setting that Jesus is in. He's talking about this horrible death and the cross that is to come. And then Uh, I believe that everybody here would agree that this is a tense moment. I believe that you would agree that Jesus, in in his speech, he had everybody's attention. I bet there were tears that were, that were streaming down people's faces. And, and, and I bet that people also had questions like, we didn't see this, this turning out this way. And so they had, they had questions and, and, and it was, you know, my mom was the queen of idioms. How many of you had a mom that had an idiom for everything? It was so quiet that you could hear a pin drop. The atmosphere was so thick that you could cut it with a knife. Uh, like, this is the setting. This is, this is what was taking place at this moment And then in this moment, at this apex of the conversation, there's a woman that's just kind of making her way, you know what I mean, through the, through the crowd. And, and she's like, excuse me, hate to be a disruption, but I've got, I've got a question, you know, before the meeting comes to an end, I've just got something that I got to put before you. Boys, boys, come up here. James and John, these are the sons of thunder. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. You you know James and you know John, right? They've been with you for two years. And they've been good boys. They've been good boys. You'd believe that they were good, right? Like they've been faithful followers of you, Jesus. And, And I was just wondering, you know what I mean? Like I'll be praying about that whole cross situation and Boy, that's a tough deal, but I just, I was just wondering, like after the cross, after the cross is finished, can, can James maybe sit on your left and, and John, could he possibly sit on your, on your right? See, this picture in my mind is strange because it brings me to a place that this woman really wasn't even paying attention to what it was that Jesus was going to have to go through, what she was most concerned about was the position that her sons were going to be in, the authority maybe that they were going to be, they were going to be given. She desired her boys to be great in the kingdom of God. Shifting gears just real quick. How many of you here watch a movie like you're the worst person to watch a movie with because... You're always guessing what's going to happen next in the movie. Is there anybody here like that? That's totally me. Matter of fact, my wife absolutely hates it because, you know what I mean, somebody will say something and then I'll say it before the person even responds. Like, I'll say what they're going to say and verbatim. They say exactly that. And so I'll just have to look at her like, I'm good, right? I'm good, right? Like, and, and we have this thing in our family, I always just say, I don't know if it's a thing to her, but I always just say, Psh, I could write this stuff. Especially like Hallmark movies, right? Like Hallmark, 
You know what I'm saying? Love story. <laughs> it drives her crazy. She's like, honestly, it's gotten to the point. She's like, yeah, 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 you're good. You're good. You're good. But all you really have to do is just kind of, you know, pay attention. You know, sometimes they make it really easy because there's a, there's a change in the music. Let me just tell you this. When there's a change in the music and there's a creepy violin playing and somebody's walking out towards the corn, like you know it's not going to turn. Like, like before anybody even says it, you can say, don't do it. No. <laughs> Stay away from the corn. Don't you hear the music? You know what I'm saying? This isn't, it's not going to end good for you. How do you think? Like, I'm thinking about how Jesus responds if I didn't know and I didn't read the story. Like, how should Jesus, how is he going to respond? You know, just like you're watching a movie and you can tell what's next. How is Jesus going to respond to this woman, come on, acting in this way after he has just spoken of all the horrible things that he's going to go through? Like, in my mind... Jesus is, is, he's got a great opportunity to line her out. Like, woman, are you crazy? Did you hear what I just said? I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die a criminal's death. And you want to leverage a moment? You want to leverage an opportunity because you're caring about your sons being great in the kingdom? Like I'm thinking, holy cow. First of all, I wanna pause right there again. Men, whenever it comes to greatness, as a man, it's never a good idea to bring your mom along with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm a military guy and this truly happened in the military and it still happens today because my son is in the army and I've really talked to his wife about this, but it, when I was in the Marine Corps back in the day, we had other Marines that were married and had families and things like that. First of all, let me just tell you, when you belong to the military like you belong, you are owned property. And so you could tell your wife, like, listen, I'll be home at five today. But if they get an itch to do something like take the whole platoon or company out into the field for an overnight... You don't have, what you say about it as family, there, it, it, there's no bearing on it whatsoever. And what's crazy is, is we would have wives of soldiers or Marines that would call up the general and say, hey, listen, it's five o'clock, where's my husband? And, and while the general may be real courteous, you know what I mean, to the woman on the phone, I promise you, that kid, that young man, that man, I don't care how old they were, he was going to pay for that wife messing with his day when he had more important things to tend to. You're <laughs> were you on, did, did your wife ever call? Did she ever? Okay. <laughs> But I'm just telling you, like, greatness, it's never good for your wife or your mom or somebody. to Like, like let me just give you, you want to get promoted in your, in your company. And, and, and you're promoting, you're, you're interviewing for a supervisory position. And you show up and you've got your resume. You've got all your references in line and your experiences, but you bring your mom along and say, hey, listen, you know, sir, ma'am, I just wanted to bring mom along because nobody really knows me like her. And mom, just go ahead and tell them how great I would be in this position. Right? This is crazy. But this is kind of the setting in the situation that we, that we find ourselves, men, you want to get married, you've been dating this woman for a little while, and, and when you go ask the woman's father for her hand, are you going to bring the, your mom along with them and say, listen, we would like to know if I can marry, you know, like it just, it's not good, it's not a good look, but that's exactly what happened what happened here and and here I am I'm excited to hear Jesus line this woman out and call these boys spineless snakes or whatever 
But it didn't happen. It didn't happen at all. He wasn't angry at their desire to be important. And he wasn't insulted by the ambition that they had to be great. How did he respond to it? Jesus simply said, listen, you just don't know what you're asking. Like your name is going to be great. In fact, we're talking today, several thousand years later, about two boys, James and John, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee, their name is great, but what Jesus was saying is, is you do not realize the pain that is going to be associated with having a great name. And so it's not wrong to have ambition to have your life count and to, and to leave a mark that matters, legacy, but you don't know what you're asking because there's some suffering that's going to come along with it. Number one, you're writing notes. I encourage you to write this down. Please write this down. Memorize it. Bring it up. Average is an insult to God. Average is an insult to God. But yet, we have and we live in a world that is continuing to put and to push average. If you've got, if you've got kids in a classroom, right, that they, they, they can't come up to the mark, what they do is they, grave on a, they grade on a curve. Instead of keeping the kid back like they used to and getting, getting more remedial help and, and tutoring or whatever it is, like they just graduate them right on up to the next, the next phase. And then, and then there's not really a pushing sometimes for those that are excelling academically. Thank God we've got college classes and things like that, that, that these kids can take. And a lot of kids are taking advantage of those, but I'm telling you what, we are celebrating way too much average and mediocrity in our world. I heard this to be true. Don't know if it's true, but Matt was saying that he's got a friend that lives in New Zealand. And along the road, if they've got sunflowers that are growing, if one sunflower is growing higher than the other, what they'll do is they will cut that sunflower off so that there is uniformity. And I thought to myself, holy cow, it looks good and it sounds good, but it's not good. Man, let that sunflower thrive. You know what I'm saying? But so many things in our world today, we're just, we're, 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 we're forcing people into the averages. We're forcing people to hold back just a little bit, or at least we're framing it that way. And so in the church world, there's an awkward tension that comes whenever somebody that loves Jesus says, I want more out of life than what I currently have. I want more influence. I would like to have more money. Now, let me take you back to what I said first, that this is not a prosperity gospel. But who here would deny an additional $50,000 a year income if you could work for it? Who would deny that? Anybody? You just don't want it because you're just totally satisfied and happy. You know what I'm saying, where you are. Who would deny it? You're like, you know what? Give that to somebody. Who, who would deny the $50,000? Oh, that's interesting. So... When we desire to have more, oftentimes in the church world, it's kind of frowned upon, looked down upon. Why? Because you must not be satisfied and content with where you are. But you can be content with where you are, happy with where you are, feeling blessed in the favor of God with where you are, but also have a vision for more than where you are, right? And so relationships, like I want more relationships and I want deeper relationships. Who here would like to have a better marriage? Don't raise your hand because you know what I'm saying? Because, oh my goodness, your spouse might think, well, you're not happy. Yes, I'm happy, but man, if it can be better, let's go for that, right? Come on, somebody. Just because you want more doesn't mean that you're dissatisfied now, if you wanted like a couple wives, that might be a problem. You know what I'm saying? But that's not what I'm talking about here. We don't believe that, right? We don't believe that, right? Okay. All right. It's just like, okay. 
See, we've been trained that we shouldn't want more because worldly people are the ones that want more. It's those worldly people that don't have a relationship with God. All they think about is influence and, and popularity and, and finances and all of these things. And oh my gosh, the Bible says that every good thing has come down from the Father, come on, who loves us. And if, I am, if I'm honest with myself and I say, listen, I desire more, then that means that that must mean that there's conflict from what I want. There's conflict in that and what I have, which means that God somehow is coming up short in my life. And so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything like I desire these things, but there's no way I could tell it with a bunch of church folks. They're going to think that I'm, I might not even be saved. So we've been trained not to want more. We've been trained. Don't be like the world. And if I'm not completely satisfied and I desire more, then that brings about a conflict in my life. Let me shift gears one more time. There is a benefit and a blessing to having a pastor that has been around for a long time. And um, if you look in the church world and the church community, it's, it's not common to have a pastor that's been around for 14 years. Matter of fact, there are some denominations that if you've been at a single location for three to five years, they're looking to take you and reposition you someplace else. And so one of the blessings of having a pastor that's been around for a long time is I know who shows up late on Sunday on a regular basis. Like, I know, I know who does it. And, and that's not because I'm paying close attention. It's just because I'm paying attention. Like, like there are people that absolutely, they're going to show up about 20 minutes after the, the church service starts. And so the other beautiful thing about, about pastoring a certain group of people for a long period of time is that I've been able to see their children, which were young grow up and now they have started families of their own like and the cool thing about this is check this out they have made the decision that church is important and so they're not coming to church just because mom and dad are dragging them to church but but mom and dad did some good things and they're coming to church because because they need you know what i mean the community the encouragement the word all that good stuff but let me tell you what I've noticed is those kids that are children of the parents that showed up 20 minutes late to church, those kids now show up 20 minutes late to church. Are you with me? So as dad does, so do I. And so there's a, there's a transfer. And I want you to, to realize that Genesis Chapter 1 and verse 27 says this, that God created man in his own image. In his, in, in his image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so in the natural, like you can tell if, if you know, if, if, a, if a, a father and a son, you can tell that they're related oftentimes by the way that they carry themselves, by their, by their facial expressions, how they talk, like you can say, boy, you're just, you're a spitting image of your, of your dad, right? And so in the natural, you can tell that you're your father's son, but also spiritually, like you can tell who you belong to. See, you're created in the image and the likeness of God. You are a child of the most high God. And I want you to know that, that you are you are marked and you belong and you've been anointed by God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And if you don't realize that you take on the characteristics of the Father, that you, are, you, are, you have been changed and are continually being changed into his image and likeness, if you don't realize that, it's going to cause confusion. And the confusion is this. That once you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are marked by the enemy. Where you might have been flying up underneath the radar for a period of time, 
Now, come on, you got a red mark on your back and he's trying to take everything. Come on, see, you're reflecting God's glory. You, you, you walk in his authority. You, you have the power of God in your life. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And so listen, you're going through life and it seems like your life has become difficult after you've received Jesus Christ. It's because you're on the radar. Like, like you hate drama. You don't like drama, but now you're finding yourself surrounded by pity, drama all over the place, right? It's because God, come on, has called you. You're reflecting his glory, but the enemy recognizes the greatness, the purpose, the anointing that's in you. And I just want you to know this, that Satan oftentimes sees more in people than they are able to see in themselves. See, you don't know. Some people that I talk to, they don't know the greatness. They don't know the possibilities. They don't know the calling. They don't realize, come on, the positioning. They don't understand the anointing. But guess who does? Satan knows it. And so he is lying to you and he's tripping you up and he's setting you back and doing all of these things because he sees the father in you. Isaiah 40 and verse 26 says this, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these heavens? Who put these stars in the sky? Who called them by name? It goes on to say because of God's great power, and his mighty strength, not one of the stars that are up there in heaven, not one of them are not named and not one of them are missing or out of place. So let me ask you a question. Do you think, can you come into agreement with me that the God that we serve is a great God? Is he great or is he just okay? Is he amazing or is he just average? And so what I need you to know is Genesis 1 and 27 tells us that we're created in his image and likeness. His greatness is inside of you, meaning this, that there's not a strand of mediocrity in your DNA. There's not a strand of average in your DNA. When we settle for the good enough life, it's an insult to our great God. And I'm talking about every aspect of your life. When you settle relationally, it insults God. When you settle influentially, it's, 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 it slaps God in the face. When you settle financially, this is not a prosperity message. But some of you need to come to the place that when God blesses you financially, it's not for your own benefit only. It's to advance the kingdom of God. We've got a ton of wealthy people in this community that at any second could write a check for the gymnasium that we need to help our kids. They could write one, one person could write one check and pay the entirety of it. But they don't have a, they don't have a divine purpose for what it is that God has put in their possession. And I'm not saying it's up to one person. We've built everything that we've built here. It's all paid for because a lot of people have done their part in coming to the table. Amen. But I'm just telling you this, that man, you got to have, you got to have a kingdom mindset. It is foolish to think that God has entrusted you with what you have right now and just think that it's for you and your family. He is a kingdom-minded God, and, and he gives to one to bless another. Amen? Man, there are churches that could be paid for. Philippines, Uganda, all over the world, other, other campuses. Come on in, in this great state where God may be calling us to do other things. All of that takes finances. And so I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel so that you can have six vehicles and a $120,000 boat in your garage. Nothing wrong with that. But hopefully you've got something bigger than personal gain and look at me and what it is. That, come on, you got to have a kingdom mindset with what it is that God has entrusted you with. 
<laughs> I, man, oh man. And guess what? What could God do if, you, if we were faithful in the small things? He says, I'll bless you in the bigger things. So God's not upset when you want your life to count more. It's your motivation that matters. Why do I want this? Is it for me? Is it so I look good? Is it so I fit in? Come on with this group of people? Or is my motivation come on to advance what it is that God is doing? And of course my life is going to be blessed because of it as a, as a, it just, it just comes with the territory, right? Bob Dempsey, I just, I'm going to share this just real quick, but Bob's in his 70s and a few years back, man, he, he went back to school to get his doctorate. And I said, Bob, why are you going to go back to school to get you? He's got money to retire. He doesn't have a, you know, as far as finances go, doesn't have a, you, you know, it's, it's not like he's trying to get someplace or, or, or do something. But he went back just to continue to grow his mind and to achieve. It wasn't going to help his job situation out any. There was no monetary value. There was, but I'm telling you what, man, that's greatness. There's another lady, Shirley Brashears, in the, in the church that I went to back in Boise. She, I think she was in her 80s, went back to school and got her doctorate degree. Why? Because I can still learn. I can still go. I can still serve. I can still give. I can still grow, right? Greatness. Great is he that is in me. Greater even than he that's in the world. So this is not a slight because I can just tell you a message like this. All of us are checked because all of us, come on, have, have, have settled for average at least in one area of your life, right? Might be financially, you talked yourself out of why, you know, you can't grow and do great things for another person. It might be physically. You know what I'm saying? The challenge is just too hard to, to lose that weight or whatever it is. But all of us have settled in some area, shape or form. So this is not a slight, but I'm telling you this, that most people live like this is good and good should be good enough. I got a good marriage. Yeah, you got a good marriage. You're not yelling, screaming at your wife or your husband. You're not throwing things maybe like you used to and throwing tantrums and, and things like that. But you've given up on your dreams and your desires. Oh, man, man, I've got a good, you know, my finances are good. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't owe a lot of debt. I don't have a lot of outstanding debt. I've got a little bit of money in the bank I'm putting in towards retirement. My wife and I and my family, we can go on a vacation at least like once a year. We're doing good. But what about great? You know what I'm saying? Once again, I just keep coming across this in my mind, the business opportunity that God has given you, come on, insight to the heavenly realm on something that he will bless if you will just but do it. But you can't even take a step in the direction because you've talked yourself out of why it won't work a hundred different ways. And God's saying, listen, man, this is... This is the treasure, man. This is the, this is the hidden ingredient that makes it wonderful. And I've given you the idea, but you failed to launch. Is it wrong to want more with a, vi with a vision to build? Is it wrong to want more with a vision to send? Is it wrong to want more with a vision to give? Is it wrong to want more with a vision to go? Any cooks in the house? Not with the last name Cook. <laughs> Anybody like a real cook? Like when I cook, which is very rare, but if I'm following a recipe, like I'm getting down, it says this, a half a cup of flour, like I'm, okay, half a cup, perfect. Because if I don't follow it to a T, it's going to turn out terrible. But there are those real cooks that just, they just do they dashes and add a little bit of this and sprinkle a little bit of that. And those are the people that I'm talking about. Like, is there anybody here like that today? Anybody? One, two, three. We got a lot of people. I'm going to remember this. I know Teresa, the best pasole in the world right there. And when you're sick, ask for chicken noodle soup and she will hook you up. I hope that's all right. 
Okay, all right. But this is the deal, like real cooks, real chefs, you're already thinking about Thanksgiving and it's September. You know that you're gonna dunk your turkey in a vat of oil that could turn out to be a bomb and explode on you. You already know what all the sides are gonna be. You can picture the table being set and you're already calling family from a far distance away saying, hey, listen, you know, come over to our house and it's gonna be wonderful. And then all of a sudden you do all the preparations and everything's set out perfectly. The table is set. You're ready for people to show up. What happens if they don't show up? Or what happens if they show up and then all of a sudden, when they show up, they're like, oh, listen, I'm sorry. We're just not hungry yet. Why aren't you hungry? It's Thanksgiving. Well, the kids, they were just, you know, they were, they were hungry. So we ran by McDonald's just real quick. And we all just kind of ate a little bit. I might have some dessert later. Like how, how would that make you feel? You've done all of this preparation. You've, you've set the table and then people are going to spoil it with McDonald's. Now, listen, I like me a Big Mac, but... Come on. See, Jesus shed his blood so that we could live the maximized life, the abundant life. And of course, the abundant life, if you study that out, it's talking about eternal life. But I want you to know this, that God wants your life to count on this side of eternity as well. I believe it wholeheartedly. Imagine saying to Jesus, I'm good. I've accepted the average life. I really don't want to, I don't really want to be used to do anything significant, you know, with my life. Number two, this average screams loudest in our world. And I got to hurry up here. Don't go checking out on me. I'm going to get you out of here real quick. Okay. Average screams the loudest in our world. Mediocrity is king. There's no reward for winning anymore. We're telling our children that, hey, listen, everybody gets a participation trophy. It just kind of, you know, it just kind of really forces people, you know what I mean, to be mediocre. And I'm just saying this, that in this story, I'm expecting Jesus to rebuke this woman, to line her out. He didn't get offended by their ambition, but guess who did get offended? The other 10 disciples. They were offended that, that this woman and her sons would desire greatness in the kingdom of God. And, um, and they turned on the two. Number three is this. When you decide to no longer, I want you to lean in real quick. When you make a decision to no longer Except average, you're automatically going to offend every other average person that's in your circle. When you make the decision to pursue greatness in any area of your life, you are automatically going to offend every single average person that you share life with. In fact, I was talking to my son. Um, he was in the Lahaina fires and over in Maui, he lives over there. And I want to say thank you for, for praying for my boy. He, uh, you know, he's, he's over there and, and he was just telling me, dad, I'm just, I'm trying to become the best. This was yesterday. He was talking to me and I was like, holy crap, man, this is, this is exactly what I've been talking about. And I said, I said, listen, you, he said, I'm, I'm expecting greatness in my life. I'm changing my habits. I'm reading my Bible every single day. I'm working out on a regular basis. Um, I'm, 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 I'm getting up early and I'm, and I'm working my plan. And he said, dad, it would, it's crazy to me. The people that know me the most, the people that love me the most, the people that know my heart the most are the ones that are dragging me back. They're dragging me back. They're, they're not supporting the decisions that I'm trying to make. They're dragging me back. They're, 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 you know, they're kind of poking fun at it a little bit. And I'm just telling you this, that when you make a decision to do something different, come on, people that know your heart the most, they're going to they're gonna pull you down. Some of them will. Parenting is the same way. You know, if you've got a... Uh, a, a kid that wants to parent their children just a little bit differently than the way that they were parented. And they're, and they're, they're saying, hey, listen, 
I'm going to do this. And then automatically, sometimes parents are like, listen, we didn't do that for you. And you turned out okay, right? You turned out all right. And so they take offense that you're trying to do something different. And it's not a slight on how you were raised, but they can take it that way because they didn't do it for you. Now they feel a burden there. My question is this, do we offend the Holy Spirit by embracing average? Do we ever do that? Can we offend the Holy Spirit by embracing average? See, the Holy Spirit, when it was given to the church, there was 120 people in the upper room. The Holy Spirit was poured out in that place. And immediately, man, they started to speak with new tongues and they went down into the city. And the Bible says that that day that 3,000 were saved. And so the fruit of the Holy Ghost was power, was anointing, was transformation. And so they, they go down, and in that one day, 3,000 came to know Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Ghost in our life, shouldn't it mean the same? You know, should it lead to average? Should it lead to, you know what, I'm just going to continue to do what it is that I've been doing all these years? Or should it, should it move us to greatness? Should it move us to empowerment, right? Is the Holy Spirit bored in your life? Because you're not launching out and doing something exciting? There's not a lot of faith that you're just exercising in your life? Is the Holy Spirit, can the Holy Spirit be bored? I don't know. It's a good question, but I think it's interesting when the first king of Israel was being anointed king, his name was Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 21, this is what it says. When the first king of Israel was being anointed by the prophet Samuel, Saul's response to this anointing was like, like pardon me, sir, pardon, pardon me, sir, prophet. Saul replied like, listen, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, which is the least of all of the tribes. And oh, by the way, I am from the least family, the smallest family, the most insignificant family in the tribe of Benjamin. I think you have the wrong guy. And so listen, if you will study out the prophet Samuel, he learned how to listen to the voice of God before he was in the first grade. Before he was in the first grade, he learned how to pay attention to God's voice. And so he says, listen, Saul, you are going to be the next king. Oh, I'm sorry. I think you got the wrong guy. Listen, my point is this. When God says greatness, we give excuses. When God says, I want to do something great in your life, the, the, the first bend that we have in humanity is given excuse as to why that cannot be done through me. Oh yeah, it can be done through everybody else. I've got faith to believe great things for you, but I don't know that I have faith enough to believe great things for me. Right now as you're talking to yourself and you're saying, man, I hear what you're saying but I really don't know if I can do anything great. Let me remind you that Noah was a drunk. We talk about Noah a lot and Abraham was a liar. Moses was a murderer and Timothy was sickly and Job dealt with suicidal thoughts. I want you to realize this, that God knew about abortion before he called you to greatness. God knew about divorce before he called you to greatness. God knew about abuse before he said, I'm going to do great things in your life. God knew about bankruptcy before he said, your life is going to count and it's going to matter. God even knew about eating disorders and every other kind of disorder, addiction. You can go on, pornography. God knew about all of these things. And he's saying that none of those things are going to limit you. The only thing that is going to limit you is your inability to have faith and trust in me. 
And I'm just saying that we've got to change. Come on. We've got to change our mindset. God's not offended that you want more. Number four, and this is the last point, it's this. Make sure that your why, the why you want more, make sure your why is in line. Make sure that your why, your desire, like your motivation, make sure that that is in line. Because if you just want more, you know what I mean, just to be, you know, the popular kid. If you just want more to keep up with you know, what, what the circle that you hope to run in one day. Like if you just want more so that you can drive a nicer, a nicer vehicle and have a $140,000 boat, you know what I'm saying, in your, and there's nothing wrong with nice vehicles and good boats and things like that, but man, what a shallow, shallow, shallow reason for wanting more. And I don't think that that, any of that moves God in the way that I'm talking about here today, right? Like honestly, like the things that you own, it should be a blessing to you and yours, but it also should be a blessing, right? Should be a blessing to the kingdom of God. Like if you've got a great fishing boat and whatnot, I'm not a fishing guy, but Pastor Javi loves to fish. Invite him out to fish sometime. Or there's a lot of people in this church that love to fish. How about just say, listen, we're going to do a small group. I'm going to lead. I may not be able to lead a Bible study and, 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 and do that, but I could fish and I'm going to, I'm going to lead a small group and, um, and I'm going to bring God into the middle of our time on the water, right? That's how you take something wonderful that God has put into your possession and you use it to be a blessing, right? To other people and the kingdom of God is being advanced. Make sure that your why is in line because the Bible says, if you wanna be great, be a servant above all. If you wanna be great, then, then use your life, live it as a slave, come on to the Lord, right? And this is the deal. When opposition comes, when you make the decision to be the greatest version of you that you can be, because listen, it's gonna be opposed. You're, it's, you're gonna become against. Not everybody's gonna be a fan. But when you make that decision, you need to stay the course. You need to, you need to say, Lord, I'm doing this for all of these reasons, all of these right reasons, and I'm doing it as unto you. Not that I be glorified, but I reflect your glory in Jesus' name. Amen? Now listen, I want to do something right now. There's two things I want to do, and I'm going to take, I'm going to take a second. Number one, I want to apologize. I got a little loose with my words towards the end, talking about my son. I said something from the platform that, that really shouldn't have been said from the platform. And immediately when I said it, I got checked in my heart. So I'm asking you to forgive me of a word that I said. So maybe you heard it, maybe you didn't hear it, but I'm asking you to forgive me. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have been so loose loose with my words and so I'm asking for grace and mercy will you please forgive me I apologize the last thing I ever want to do is uh, is to be a stumbling block for anybody and I want you to know and I say it all the time but sometimes you need to realize that your pastors are work in progress as well amen so the second thing is, is that I am grateful for a God that is merciful and wonderful. And I want you to know this, that you cannot do any of what I've just talked to you about over these last few moments. You can't do any of these things without a proper relationship with the Lord, amen? And so if you're here today 
and you do not know if you are saved. You don't know if you, you don't know if you're saved. Like if you were going to die today, you don't know if, you know, what your eternity would be like. I want you to know this, that it's so simple. I had a wonderful conversation with a nine-year-old girl before the service that's getting baptized. And I said, do you know what it means to be saved? She said, yes. She said, to ask Jesus to come into your heart. And I said, that is absolutely right. And I said, do you know that you're a sinner? Because we need to know that we're sinners and we need a savior to forgive us of our sins, right? And she said this, she said, well, of course, pastor, everybody's a sinner. I said, you're right, everybody is a sinner. And I said, but you need to apply the cross of Jesus Christ to your life and have your sins forgiven. And I said, it's, it's beautiful, past sins, present sins, future sins will be washed away, never to be brought up against you again. And she says, yes, I understand that. And I said this, that not only do you just want your sins to be forgiven, but you want to live your life for Jesus, right? That means that he's going to lead you. And sometimes that means not doing the things you want to do because he's showing you things that you need to do. She says, yes, I understand that. But I'm saying that's true of a nine-year-old girl. And it's true of all of us today. And so if you don't know if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, like you could do it right now. You don't have to wait till later. You don't have to wait till you know more about God's word. You just need to know this, that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. God died for our sins so that we could be saved. But you have to appropriate the gift to your own life. How do you do that? The Bible says you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. You're like, God, I believe that Jesus is who you say you are and you died for me and I receive you. Come into my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He'll do that. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And man, oh man, I believe that when your name is really written in that Lamb's Book of Life, that it's not blotted out. It's not blotted out. And so if you don't know if you're saved and you want to know that you're saved, you could be saved right now. I'm just going to ask you if you want to do that to raise your hand and I would love to pray with you just right where you are. Anybody not know up here? We got, I love, you know what? God bless you. Thank you for your boldness, man. He's just like, God bless you, man. Anybody else? Like, we're not right here. Thank you guys so much. So good. So good. I want you to know that this doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is a big deal. Because it's just a response to what he has done. You can't add to what the, what's already been done on the cross. All you can do is just receive it. And so we're going to pray and we're going to close today. But I want to thank you and I want to thank the Lord for what he's doing. I'm excited about this new series. We're going to talk a lot of powerful things and I encourage you to come and, um, and to learn and to grow. Let's learn and grow together. Let's stand to our feet as we pray. Lord, we thank you for today. And those of you that raised your hand, just go ahead and make this personal to yourself. We thank you, Lord, for today. And thank you for the cross. Thank you for laying your life down on that cross so that Anybody that believes in you can live. And right now, Jesus, I believe in you. And I receive your gift of eternal life. And I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me of my shortcomings. I ask you, Lord, to come into my life and to fill me with your Holy Spirit. What that is, is God in me, the hope of all glory. Thank you, Jesus, for that. God, we know that we have nothing to offer except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But we're going to do the very best we can to reflect the beauty of your love. We're going to share your gift, Lord of life with others 
And I pray, Lord, that you would just help us along the way. We surrender to you, Lord. We say this, that my life does not belong to me anymore, but it belongs to you. We pray these things today in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.